All right. Welcome to all the cinephiles out there. Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. She is the Lizard Queen and your Huckleberry, Chelsea Burnett. Hello. Wow, it has been a long time, hasn't it, since we've last been in this recording studio. We have been busy, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, But as promised, today's spotlight topic is going to be uh, a retrospective of Val Kilmer. Um, we, this is one of the first ideas I think we wrote down when we were starting the show, uh, something you're really, uh, passionate about Chelsea and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. I think I surprised myself with how passionate I became about Val Kilmer in the the year 2021, but, uh, I'm excited to unpack this and all this studying was finally now coming to fruition. He's a really interesting guy. So I, I am excited. It was fun preparing for this, and I'm excited to get into it with you. Uh, we want to spend as much time in Val Kilmer as possible. So we have one quick news story that came out this week that I thought was kind of interesting, and uh, we're just going to riff on it for a second. So um, one of the big 2021 movies that's been circled is Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe-centered movie starring Ana de Armas, who is just red hot. Mm-hmm. She's in everything um she's super talented and i I, you know i don't think i was even sure what the movie was about you know michelle williams did a marilyn monroe movie that was about this one piece of time with this 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 guy who was you know doing a story on her and so i wasn't sure what this movie is going to be about but we're hearing now is netflix is concerned because this was going to be yeah in their plans, this was going to be um, an Oscar contender. They were hoping could at least be talked about during Oscar season. Like all the biopics usually get that kind of buzz. And it, they, I think it's understandable. They thought they may have had it in the bag. And right. they still might. But I'll let might. you I'll let you keep going with, with what their concerns are. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I think they thought they were going to get Ray or something like that. Well... Apparently, they're starting to see the early cuts of the film, and they're concerned because it's the the director uh, Andrew Dominic, who uh, directed uh, the assassination of Jesse James, which is an awesome movie, mm-hmm. uh, Killing Them Softly, which I remember being an okay movie. I, I maybe need to watch it again, but um, he, it seems like he's making more of like an adult art house film. Uh, apparently, there is a. a, a aggressive rape scene was that the right word that to use i think so and a uh another graphic sexually explicit scene that um you can read about on your own but uh netflix is shocked and appalled by this and the director does not want to does not want to change it and my question is netflix what are you doing (laughs) like did you not read the script have you not been involved what is going on yeah was there no one on site checking in or watching dailies or I mean, the dailies process is kind of different nowadays anyway, with most most things moving to digital. But still, yes, how did we get to this point? And now why do we need to wait? Because COVID already pushed the release of this movie a year, I believe. I, I think it was all set to probably go up through the festival circuit of 2020. But they were, you know, ramping up for 2021 and now what is it going to be now we have to wait for a new cut until 2022 that just seems like 
they're going to lose some steam. They should, I think, be writing. If they're smart, I would just try and put this out. The controversy, I think, could be good for them. And maybe Netflix yes. needs a little bit of an edge, too, to some of their content. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not Agreed. saying... I'm not trying to say rape scenes are edgy and like I, I just think I, I would be interested to see it in context and maybe there is a, a real reason why the filmmaker thinks it needs to be shown. So, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Marilyn, Norma Jean, famously mm-hmm. horribly mistreated in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's what the storytelling is. And if that's the context, Netflix, relax, this might be. You know, a well-made movie. Mm-hmm. He is a good director. I don't think he's just, you know, trying to add shock value. Yeah, and and with um, Anna uh, about to be a, a Bond girl in the next Bond film, No Time to Die, which I think is October. Is uh, that when we? I I've stopped checking. Just uh, tell me when the movie's yeah, in theaters. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I think this could be a and then uh, Dark Waters, the whatever movie it was they brought her and Ben Affleck together. It seems like she's gonna pop off even more than than she did after um, Blade Runner. So um, let's I, I would keep that momentum going if I were Netflix. Yeah, but Netflix, you know, we've talked about this before. You pump out a lot of stuff. A lot of it is shallow and not good and then there's a diamond in the pile here and there maybe if you just spent more time (laughs) paying attention to what was going on you could put out better content yeah and feel and feel confident with the the work that uh you're producing and or slapping your name onto yeah anyway we'll we'll both watch it when it comes out yeah, she's quite a, a talent, and she looks so much like her. I mean, when you see the the production stills, it, it's jarring. Yeah, and I'm such a sucker for that. I yeah. yeah, she's something else. I'd never heard of her till Blade Runner, and I remember the first scene she was in. I was like, Hollywood is full of attractive people. Mm-hmm. There was just something of that first scene. I was like, who is that? Mm-hmm. She's really soulful and cute and sexy, and um, yeah. But she's, she's diverse because. She was there was nothing sexy or anything about her character knives out. She was awesome in that mm-hmm. movie. So I'm excited to see this movie. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well then let's just jump in to the topic. So Val Kilmer. Uh, you know, I think there's a wide array of opinions about Val Kilmer, both for the viewing audience and for the people in Hollywood. I've always liked Val and I always kind of wondered what what happened. So that's why I was so excited to deep dive this. But Chelsea, this was really your your deal. Like you had this idea. I think when we were sharing ideas for episodes, you know, I think I threw a couple out. This was the first one you had. You were all you, you you've been circling it. You've been so pumped. So please take it away. Talk to us about why you want to talk about Val. Well, first and foremost, if I've been put on a list, I promise the CIA, FBI, whoever may be investigating me, I am not planning on stalking Val Kilmer or doing anything of the sort. I I am a little (laughs) concerned now that all my like Google automatic uh, like prompts is something related to Val Kilmer. So um, I, I, yeah, the past few months, um, I have been just trying to do a deep dive into this man who I really did not know much about beyond just that he was a Batman in my favorite Batman movie as a kid. And uh, I knew of him as Iceman. 
And I had heard that he was difficult, uh, like a difficult actor on set, which in reading his memoir, listening to his memoir as an audiobook, um, I, you know, he doesn't shy away from that. He admits that he he is difficult, but he doesn't really apologize for that. And we can get into that later. But it all my fascination started because I happened to watch The Saint uh, with some friends and I I had never even heard of that movie. And um, it was I was like really transfixed with his he had like a really weird but really committed performance. And that role requires him to take on a lot of um, different alter egos because he's a spy so he's trying out some accent work and there's some prosthetics and he's just he I was just like what is this guy all about and uh, why did he just kind of disappear from Hollywood I think the last time I had heard about him in the news was that people were concerned about his health and I had heard he was a he is a practitioner of Christian science so there was some issue there of like what he was going to do to take care of his health but anyway I saw the saint I was sitting at home I was like oh uh what's a google Val Kilmer I found this New York Times magazine piece about him and I'm going to pull up her name so I can give her credit the um the journalist's name is Taffy Brodesser Ackner I hope that I pronounced her name correctly um, and the article's name is um, what happened to Val Kilmer he's just starting to figure it out and the piece came out sometime in 2020 after the pandemic and what I really like about Taffy's perspective is uh, she, what she got out of her time with Val Kilmer is like in how dark the world was at that time and, and still as we're still coming out of it Val Kilmer was this person who I think in good part because of the way he was raised and with the, the faith he has, um, he really is kind of always looking for the good and like the love that you can get out of um, uh, humanity. And she was like, I think, very like surprised by the um, impact he had it, um, on her because she had been raised extremely religious as well and had kind of pushed against that and then talking to someone who is a man of such strong faith um, but comes at it in this like real earnest way was I think really refreshing for her and it was like at her perspective on him was like I don't know really spoke to me and it really inspired me to like get to know him more and then as I was bringing up his name with some coworkers, a coworker of mine was like I love Val Kilmer and mentioned some of his best roles and it just kind of snowballed from there yeah i mean like i said you came to me with this and and it was really fun to deep dive and one of the things i really enjoyed about revisiting all of his you know revis revisiting his career was when you sit and watch the totality and i mean obviously we did not watch every val kilmer movie <laughs> he's got so many uh but the, of the movies we selected that we're going to talk about what just a great comedic timing he has. And he that's does. not the first thing you think about with him, but in a variety of comedy, you know, mm -hmm. I, he really, he was just, I, I really think he was just terribly underrated. And, you know, we're going to talk about as we go, but at least two times, absolute travesties that he was not nominated yes. for, 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 for anything. in these two roles we're going to talk about, but, um, yeah, I think my earliest 
connection with him was Willow, we which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And I watched Willow with my brother and sister so much that I was shocked when I found out that Val Kilmer was blonde because I was so used to seeing him with this dark, <laughs> hair, long, dark Glorious hair. Glorious wig. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was kind of, he was always kind of around until he wasn't. And that, you're right. I always kind of wondered what happened. And so that was why it was cool for you to pull me into this so we could figure it out together. Yeah. And I think it's um, very interesting timing that his documentary, Val, just premiered at Cannes and um, is now going to premiere on Amazon Prime tomorrow. We are recording this on It'll be live by August the time 5th. you guys yeah. are listening to this. So I'm I'm all, you know titillated i'm so excited to see that documentary especially after reading so much about him and now you can kind of see something from his own perspective because so much of that documentary is made up of his home movie footage so um it's interesting that he seems to be in the public consciousness and i really had no idea beyond just that kind of cool piece i read from new york times magazine so look at us kind of ahead of the curve with the curve. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I learned a lot about him. I didn't realize, I mean, just on a side note, you know, I knew he was he was married to um, uh, Joanne Wally. Mm-hmm. Wall, is it Wally? I think it, yeah, Yeah, Wally. who we met on the set of Willow. But I didn't realize all the other women that he dated. He dated Angelina Jolie and he dated oh, oh, did Cher. He? Yes. And, and apparently him, him and Cher are still close. And oh, she, yes. Um. Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, uh, Cindy Crawford, like I was like. And he love he speaks so lovingly of of them all. Like, sure. yeah, it's I I was very like taken with that going through his memoir. Just he just I mean, love is something that he brings up a lot in his in his memoir. It's a big foundation of, of Christian science. Um, it's like one of the uh, ten poles of of the belief. I mean, the the main one is just uh, the way like prayer and uh, faith can right. can heal, um, which did play in a little bit to when he d- did have his uh, when he was diagnosed with throat cancer. I think his his faith kept him from really seeking the. Uh, traditional treatment, one would think, and um, he actually collapsed at Cher's house, and uh, he uh, he was like choking on his own coagulated blood. He was prepared to meet his maker, and then his uh, children uh, stepped in, and they like insisted that he seek treatment for it. So um, uh, it's kind of a complicated thing, but even the way he talks about his children not really coming around to believing in Christian science, I think it's a little, it's probably a little sore subject, but gosh, he really, he seems like a great dad. I mean, it's coming from everything his perspective, I read but, about him and yeah. his kids that they, they adore him. And that, and that speaks a lot to the kind of person he is, mm-hmm. um, which is important and often more important than what he's doing and with his acting. Yeah. Um, so just some tidbits about Val. He he went to Juilliard, which makes sense. He's a really good actor. Which um, he refers to very uh, sarcastically as the Juilliard school <laughs> all throughout his his memoir. I did, did you actually get to read it? Uh, I'm your I'm your Huckleberry. Not yet. Uh, okay. I'm definitely intrigued, but I know you did the audiobook, so I'm yeah. excited to hear what what you can bring from that. And um, yes, the Juilliard school. Um, you know, one thing I, I, I really appreciate him, he clearly just really cares about the craft above all else. Mm-hmm. Early on, he turned down a role in The Outsiders. Like, can you imagine being a young, aspiring actor? I looked at Francis Coppola and go, no, thank you. Uh, I mean, that's, that's you know, 
respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so after he did his first film, which we'll talk about, he was in an after-school special with Michelle Pfeiffer about drinking and driving. It's where they met. And they ended up working again later on another film. Um, he also turned out a role in Blue Velvet, apparently. And Spencer, you, you're, my game is ruined. You've answered almost all my questions that I have. Uh, well, <laughs> tell, okay, no, tell I have what. a few. I have a few I'll that you, you, may, you may not get, but uh, I'm like, oh, I thought I was going to stump you on a few of okay. these, but I should have known you would have done You would have done. I'll tell research. you what, before we talk about Val, so Chelsea has a Val Kilmer trivia game she wanted to play with me. Let's just do that. Okay, we'll see. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do the game and then we'll jump back in. So take it away, Chelsea. What do you got? <laughs> Throw it at me. This was a game that I titled The One That Got Away because uh, something that came up a lot were all the the women in Val's life who he still cares and loves f- deeply, um, but uh, he really seems to have a lot of, uh, he, you know, he, I didn't realize what a, like a, just a lover boy he was through the years and um how he talks about how in one way or another it's kind of screwed up some of these relationships so going with that theme it also got me thinking about some of the parts that slipped through his fingers or he turned down and um so that is the theme of my game but i think uh i think you i'll I'll blow through some of these that i think you already know the answers to but first question Val was offered a role in which Francis Ford Coppola film, which he had to turn down due to a scheduling conflict. Oh, uh, The Outsiders? A, The Outsiders. B, Bram Stoker's Jack. Yeah. C, The Godfather Part 3. D, Rumblefish. Ding, ding, ding. It's A, The Outsiders. And in, in, the, in the book, he's funny. He's like, oh, the part ended up going to... And he lists Matt Dillon, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, like thinking like, wow, I was, I was silly to turn that down because there was so much talent there. But... I, I also think he doesn't regret the the play that he chose over sure, it. He cares so. about the craft. Yeah. Okay. Val had this to say about which famous lady he claims he is still in love with. And quote, I joke that she really did play the lead in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, and that's just how I felt. A, Cindy Crawford. Daryl Hannah. B, Daryl Hannah. C, Cher. D. Ellen Barkin. That's that's got to be Daryl Hannah. It is Daryl Hannah. Yes, he's he says he's very jealous of Neil Young that he snatched Daryl Hannah. Up. I keep forgetting Neil Young is is in a relationship with Daryl Hannah. They've been together for a little while too. Yeah, but Daryl Hannah was the last woman that that he was in a romantic relationship with, and he has a lot of regrets about letting her go. But um, which actress did Val approach to play Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, in the film about Mark Twain and Christian Science that he hopes to direct someday? Oh, wow. A, Meryl Streep. B, Helen Mirren. C, Julianne Moore. Or D, Kate Blanchett. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to say Julianne Moore? That's... Good guess. I, the Don't correct answer. Me, <laughs> the correct answer is Kate Blanchett. I would have oh. accepted Meryl Streep because he said he had a dream that he asked Meryl Streep to to do it, but he actually did get to approach Kate Blanchett about well, my it. My choice and, for almost anything would be Kate Blanchett. So hats yeah. off, Val. Mm-hmm. All right, you know the answer to this one already too. Which which film did Val Kilmer turn down because he was not comfortable with the sex and violence he read in the first version of the script? A, Dirty Dancing, B, Indecent Proposal, C, Blue Velvet, 
D interview with a vampire. Well, it's blue velvet, but is there violence and, and dirty said, dancing and <laughs> and and the, there, there are some violent elements, but I I had to pick from movies that he he was almost cast in. So I was like, of my options, I was like these these. These seem like they come closest to fitting both sex and violence. Very, very little violence in Dirty Dancing. But um, yeah, that was Blue Velvet. And um, he, I guess the first version was quite different from what we the final product was. But um, but he, I think he, he still really admires and likes David Lynch. So it just wasn't the right fit. When he found out they were cast in the same movie, which actress did Val say in his memoir he, quote, couldn't wait to kiss? A, Angelina Jolie, B, Nicole Kidman, C, Joanne Wally, or D, Ashley Judd? Oh, man. I was going to guess Mira Sorvino, and you didn't even put her on there. Uh, Ashley Judd? It actually was Angelina Jolie. He uh, he knew her before they were cast Whoa. in Alexander? Alexander. Oh, okay. Um, I I think from what I gathered, they had it was more of just like a friendship. But he pined for her. I mean, he was very taken with her, of course, because she's Angelina Jolie and so beautiful. But uh, yeah, he was stoked they were cast as king and queen <laughs> in in Alexander together. Couldn't wait to kiss her, and I think they did date for a little while after. I think that. it was brief. Yeah. All right. Robert De Niro produced the film Thunderheart, which Val Kilmer starred in. Did not know that. Which actor did Val plead De Niro to cast as his FBI counterpart in the film, only for De Niro to tell him there is no way this actor will be in that movie? A, Robert Duvall, B, Marlon Brando, C, Gene Hackman, or D, Robert Redford? And the part was played by Sam Shepard right. in the end. Uh, my gut says Brando because he's notoriously the most difficult actor of all time. Good guess. It was Marlon Brando. Yeah, Val was trying to help him out because he was having some financial st- struggles and uh, and also would have just loved to have worked with him, which he eventually did uh, uh, down the line. But yeah, uh, Robert De Niro heard him out, but was not going to go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and last question. All right, you're you're ace in this. I mean, I think you're I'm a, you're getting an A plus, whatever on this. Um, Val remains best friends with one of his exes. Which one? Joanne Wally, Cher. Carly Simon, Michelle Pfeiffer, or Cher? And yes, it is Cher. Did he date Carly Simon too? He did. Oh my god! Yeah, I know he got around. <laughs> um. So thank you for participating, and I very rudely interrupted you. No, uh, no, you were no. Still going through. I probably should have had you do the game was, before we started no, talking no, about. I was, Val. I was sweating. I was like. Oh gosh, he's, he knows all the answers to these. <laughs> I should have been made a better game. <laughs> well, um, yeah, something else I was going to bring up near and dear to my heart. He apparently uh, went down to New Orleans and helped with Hurricane Katrina multiple times. Mm. Thank you, Val. I really appreciate that as a native Louisianian. Um, but yeah, you brought up earlier method actor, and I'm not typically a big fan of method acting, and we can get to a deeper conversation about that later. I think the only one who did it. And in, in a way I really liked was Brando. Um, but his method acting, as you said, it could cause problems sometimes. Uh, Michael Bean, after working on Tombstone, people say, he said, people come up and ask me, uh, what's it like working with Val Kilmer? He said, I have no idea. I never met Val. I only talked to Doc Holliday. 
Uh, he feuded with Brando and Tom Sizemore. Kind of doesn't surprise me. Brando, very uh, uh, problematic actor, and I'm sure they did absolutely butted heads. And Sizemore, obviously, famously, horrible substance abuse issues. I'm sure a lot of people didn't work well with Sizemore. Uh, I can say that whatever issues he and Brando had, he se- it seems to all be bygones, be bygones. Sure. Cause they he speaks so lovingly of him. I feel like, in a way, they he really maybe related to him in the the way that they caused kind of a stir on set, and like he he really defended a lot of uh, Marlon Brando's uh, choices he made on the set of Island of Doctor Moreau and uh, Frankenheimer, the director. Yeah. Uh, he was really offended by some things that Frank and I did to Brando said to him on the set. So. Well, look, folks, you can deep dive yourself. Brando, notoriously, <laughs> uh, like, all-time great troll on movie sets. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever, whatever, whatever hostility that was brought towards Brando was usually his own fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but all that being said, Mira Sorvino, Michael Mann, Robert De Niro, uh, all loved working with, with Val. Uh, all speak highly of him and i mean that's that's three respected names right there so um with that should we start if you don't have any other thoughts we can go into the movie yeah did we want to take a little break and then we can dive in i love it chelsea let's take a break all right all right we'll be right back (laughs) all right we're back so we're gonna go down a list of val's movies that we selected uh for various reasons thought they were the ones that we have the most to say about are the people represented his his career arc and yeah what he gave to to hollywood absolutely uh so of course we have to start with his first major motion picture top secret which was written and directed by uh the 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 guys who brought us airplane um, and is it Kentucky Fried Movie as well? Were they behind that one? I don't know uh, if they were behind that, okay. but they also did Police Squad, the TV show, which became the Naked Gun series, okay. which makes sense. It's all the, <laughs> it's all that same humor. Um, they saw Val on a stage play with Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon and asked him to be in it. Obviously, the first thing that stands out, he's actually singing in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he's got the really good deadpan comedic timing that we came to love from Airplane. He was... I I this is not typically my my type of humor um but so it was a little bit uh, I felt like the the barrier for entry for me to like enjoy this was was a little high but um it uh yeah he he was his performance I thought like grounded it in a more of like reality which is kind of what I like in comedy sometimes when it's so um I shouldn't even talk about comedy like I know anything about it but all I know is that <laughs> the naked guns have I I mean I do love Le- Leslie Nielsen but I I don't know those movies have never really like spoken to me but I love oh, what Val was how dare uh, yeah you. I, I also don't like Monty Python <laughs> oh no I know uh don't don't hate me but um i did tell i did tell mike i wanted to give uh, holy grail another shot but different movie top secret i do really love what val was bringing to the table and he's so proud of the singing that he did on it and he truly like he actually for a time considered kind of cutting his own record and like doing something i think he could have been successful with it so um Right, Freya? We oh, my cat's kitty. in here. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pipe down, kitty. Um, yeah, 
you know, I, I mean, not much to say about this movie. is is pretty funny. Uh, I don't know if it's as funny as, as Airplane or The First Naked Gun, but I laugh. There were some just really great lines yeah. in it. Um, you know, it, 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 what, a, what a debut. What a debut. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he gets to be funny. He gets to act. He gets to sing. He gets to dance. Leading man right off the, yeah. the get-go. Yeah. And we will talk about, I, I, I think there was a movie that was his first true lead. But, but you're right. He was the lead of this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, Chelsea, any more thoughts on Top Secret? I was just going to say, I'm going to try and remember some of these movies uh, to shout out to our listeners if they want to stream them. Um, I remember this is streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you subscribe, um, pop it on because they're... The part that did make me laugh is the song about the skeet shooting on the surf. Oh my the surf. god! So I, funny. That whole opening montage, I, 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 yeah, it got me. I was laughing. Yeah, it's it's, it's a funny movie. Seventy five percent Rotten Tomatoes, no Oscar nominations. I don't think that was really shocking, but and uh, Val was able to sneak in. There's a part where he's in a prison cell, and he was able to sneak in a picture of Cher on the wall um, because he was dating her at the time, and he did it so she'd get a kick out of it. Dating so. Cher before his first major motion picture mm-hmm. comes out. Look at that. Stud. So he does the uh, after-school special Michelle Pfeiffer before doing uh, his next movie, uh, Real Genius, Yeah, which was I had not seen before preparing for this mm-hmm. episode. Same. Pretty it's Chris Knight. Chris Good Knight. Name. Uh, another comedy, but a different kind of comedy to show that he could, you know, he could do this, the, the silly slapsticky, um, you know, as opposed to the, the deadpan straightforward humor, pretty, pretty stereotypical eighties movie. You had your montages, Mm -hmm. uh, you had your main villain with the villain kiss ass and they, they pranked the kiss ass the whole movie until, he does something that really nails him. It's really mean. Um, just it was it was just such the formulaic. It was. 80s movie. It, it really followed a lot of those like John Hughes kind of style eighties movies. I, it, I mean, I guess the closest comparison I could draw would be to Weird Science, but um, I, just sure. in term. But even then, it's a it is a different. It's it's a different story. I, but what I like what Val Kilmer was doing. In the movie, again, really flexing his, like, he's very quick, quick-witted, and it just seemed to come really natural um, to him. It fit the character he was playing, um, and uh, he was, like, 100% committed to playing Chris Knight. You, It was, I, I was, fall, I, I, I was a total believer, so um, he, he can really, I think, transform himself. I, I so. agree. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like especially any of the other movies you talk about how silly he was. And it was like, I want to hang out with Val Kilmer. Like, mm-hmm. I want to hang out with this Val Kilmer. I know. Just be really silly and fun. And he looked like he had a lot of fun making it too. Uh, it, it's, it's an enjoyable watch. Check it out if you get some time, If you, especially if you like those old 80s-style comedies. 74% Rotten Tomatoes. Again, no Oscar nominations. Yeah. The, the villain, um, I am sorry I'm blanking on his name, but he's got a little red hair. Um, the guy who plays the the... Chris Knight's professor who is stealing uh, the student's ideas. I don't remember his name either. I should have written it down. But for those of you out there, he's the news reporter who gets punched by Holly Gennaro at the end of Die Hard. Uh, yeah. He he also had some great just like one-liners under his breath. There, there are some great things to, to love about Real Genius. Uh, and some other scenes that may not have aged 
as well, but it, it's a solid comedy. And I think it's a really cool like um, 80s debut because top top secret. Yeah, it doesn't quite feel like it's on the same level as Real Geniuses, probably in terms of the audience it hits. So I look at Real Genius as kind of Val's big introduction to 80s audiences. I agree with that. It's very watchable. Mm hmm. Like, I had a good time watching it. It was yeah. fun. It was yeah. fun. So, here we go. He goes right from this, you know, kind of middle, middle, middle of the road Cheats 80s comedy yeah. right in a Top Gun. Now, the focus here is on Val. So, mm -hmm. I don't want to spend a bunch of time talking about Top Gun. Also, the Top Gun sequel is coming out this year, and I think we're going to, like, do a rewatch of the original and the watch of the new one and just do a Top Gun episode. So let's just talk about Val. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the best actor in that movie, except maybe, I mean, I think the only other person you could make a case for is Tom Skerritt, who is an all-time yeah. great actor, but mm -hmm. it's one of them. Yes. It's nobody else. Yeah. Val Kilmer, coming off of two comedies, comes in a Top Gun and it is barely in the movie and is maybe the best actor in the entire movie. He's, I think he's talked about more than Tom Cruise is in that in that movie. I mean, Top Gun is not Top Gun without Tom Cruise, but Val is the touchstone, I think, right. for a lot of people. And now, like, the gif of him and the chomping of the teeth. I, I, I Ad-libbed, legendary ad-lib. Never change, Val. Love the chomp. <laughs> I heard that the the hairstyle was his his idea. Um, I mean, t uh, Tony Scott um, had he did have a basic idea of what he wanted him to look like, but he took it to the next level with the extra height to the to the hair. But um, a little tidbit from reading um, "I'm Your Huckleberry," um, Val was so. Uh, Again, I guess part of his process, and and I do want to get back to I think how his um, faith in Christian Science and the way he was sort of raised to be very like meditative, and um, how I actually think that plays a big part in the way he approaches roles as an actor and the kind of method work that he does. He's definitely but, very careful um, with which roles he picked. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I, I'm. Who would have thought? I had no idea that the character of Ice or Iceman and Top Gun that Val Val Kilmer went so deep into it that he actually was like having dreams and like sort of like hallucinations as meeting the characters. He was playing Ice, Ice's father. He like had the whole backstory together, but it all kind of came to him in a vision that he tells very beautifully in his memoir. So um, it uh, and and he himself had his own kind of father issues um, that I learned about. But it seems like he really brought that to like what Ice was all about, because the big thing with Ice in the movie, right, is he's always he just thinks that Maverick is unsafe. He doesn't respect him because of that. And he's and right. He's, and yeah. I think you were talking about Iceman being the you sometimes to some people, the vocal point of the movie. Well, he's, you know, one of the two best pilots. I mean, he's also very good, and he's right. I mean, let's look. We're not going to get in the movie. Maverick's kind of an asshole, and when Iceman's like, "You're dangerous," he's right. Iceman's like, "You're, you need to chill out uh -huh. and think about the rest of us." He was right. You guys really are cowboys. What's your problem, Kazanski? You're everyone's problem. 
That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Nice, man. I am dangerous. And that's not a, on paper, that's not a fun part to play. You're like the negative Nancy. Yeah. And, um, but he made it fun. He made, I mean, it, he made yeah. it cool. Yeah, he made it cool to be want to be safe. Yeah, um, yeah, he did. Well said. And um, uh, just one other quick little tidbit I learned that the 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 volleyball, the famous volleyball scene. You mean the greatest movie scene ever oh, made, ever? Yeah. Very, very, very steamy. Kenny um, Loggins playing with the boys. <laughs> he, a lot of his shots, he was so excited to showcase. He actually was a, a pretty like accomplished volleyball player, beach volleyball player. And he was really excited to kind of show off He's he's kind of a show off is what I've learned, too. And he has a healthy <laughs> ego. Um, and he mentioned many times how proud he is of his body, um, as he should be. But a lot of the shots of him, I think the one shot of him twirling the ball made it into the movie. If I remember cor- remembering correctly, yep. but a lot spinning, of spinning the ball in his finger. Yeah. A lot of his uh, film was overexposed that uh, most of the film he's featured on. So Tony Scott had to tell him and was like, I'm so sorry. And they were like, there's no way we can read. We can't. We don't have it in the budget to reshoot that. So he was so excited to see his glistening torso up on the big screen and show <laughs> off his big skills. But he's happy he made the the spinning the, the ball on his finger made it. So, yeah, I don't know when we were all kids. Watching Top Gun, just as many of us wanted to be Iceman as we did Maverick. Mm-hmm. And that's Val's doing because it's not the writing, as you said. Yeah. Um, 58% Rotten Tomatoes, which, look, I know what Top Gun is. That's too low, okay? Look, is Top Gun a good movie? It's not a good movie. Is it a fun movie? Yes. Is it military military propaganda? Maybe, but... You know, yeah. you mean, by maybe, do you mean absolutely? <laughs> <laughs> um. One Oscar win. I want to see if you know what it was. Okay. Was it for sound? No. Um, I have no idea. It was best original song, Take My Breath Away by oh, Berlin. Oh, okay. Yes. And that song plays a few times, if I remember correctly, throughout the movie. So yeah, they got their times. money's worth. <laughs> sure. All right. So that brings us to, he did a couple movies. He did two, mm-hmm. two made-for-TV movies. And then he did... Willow. Willow. Now, I've seen Willow about 100 times. I love Willow. Chelsea, you just watched Willow for the first time to prepare for this. Take it away. Oh, Willow, what a charming, charming little, well, it's not a little film. What a charming epic film um, that I I can't believe I was not introduced to. I must have, it just must have come out the way the VHSs were released as a kid. I don't know. It just missed my age group. It came out two years before I was born. So I don't I, I I would have probably loved this movie as a kid and I definitely would have had a crush on Mad Mardigan, Val Kilmer's character, because he's very um swashbuckling, but it's just like he's he's suave but silly and I, I think he's doing some great um he's doing some great like slapstick uh work in the in the film. Um but uh I mean the story uh, I felt it had a lot of parallels to Lord of the Rings in the best ways, but I guess a lot of kind of epic fantasy films do come back to Lord of the Rings. Uh, would you Would you agree? Hundred yeah. um, percent. I'd say back in the winter, fall or winter, um, Lacey had never seen Willow, and she'd heard about it, and I have it on DVD. And one night she was just like, "Let's just watch it." 
and she loves Lord of the Rings. Like mm-hmm. she's read the books. The film series is one of her favorite, all-time favorites. And halfway through the movie, she's like, I cannot believe how much I'm enjoying this movie. It just so you compare to Lord of the Rings, also filmed in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. You know, that there you go. Mm-hmm. Um the hobbits to the little people in um in Willow. Yes. You know, um, there's a evil wizard. <laughs> I mean, uh it is very similar. But but the war uh, the Willow character, Warwick Davis, is that the actor's oh, yeah. name? Yeah. Legendary. I, yes. And he he I, I think was the perfect choice as the uh, um as the protagonist and he's very talented. Um yeah. And he brought like I mean, he was just so empathetic and very I like that he was this reluctant sort of hero and he actually even just wanted to put the baby back in the river. <laughs> so Sorry, what a yeah, but um I'm really happy I finally saw the movie. I'm I'm definitely when I have kids someday, I want to introduce it to them when they're young so they can kind of fully appreciate the yeah, the magic of it. Absolutely. And, um from from a Val perspective and watching it I I thought that he and Joanne Wally had like great chemistry together. There are parts when he's like holding her towards the end of the movie when spoiler alert, sorry, but when they do kind of come around to loving one another, caring for each other that I was like, wow, you can really tell that they were truly in love. And um and it it was quite a coincidence um that they were cast in that film. The way Val Kilmer tells it in his memoir is he had a dream about Joanne Wally, like a woman that looked like her. It was like a dream of a woman he knew he wanted to marry. And then he wrote a poem about it. This Loves guy, writing poetry. We didn't yeah. talk about that. He's a big poet. Yes. And then he was in London um, and he saw her in a play and was like, just he was blown away and and knew he wanted to marry her. He was like, this is the woman I dreamt about. Uh, but he didn't he was too shy and nervous to approach her. And um, when he found out that she was cast with a few years later, he found out they were cast together in Willow. He, I think she was either with someone else and he was also seeing someone else that he used kind of as like he has a lot of regrets how it went down. But he kind of used her as um bait a little bit he brought the woman he was seeing over to where they were filming willow to make joanne jealous and it worked and uh (laughs) so um and then he got two two kids out of the deal but and a very expensive divorce from what i heard i guess don't get divorced in new mexico is what i learned from their relationship i'll uh i'll take note of that yeah um you're right you know i do we do want to focus mostly on on val but I fucking love this movie and I I don't think we're ever going to talk about it ever again. I just want to bring some stuff up. So mm-hmm. it was conceived by George Lucas. Uh, he kind of had this idea. Maybe he drew from Lord of the Rings. I don't know. But um, coming off the Star Wars movies, he started writing this and went to Ron Howard, who we knew from directing American Graffiti. And Ron was starting to make a name for himself as a director. He thought he'd be a great person to direct. Had he just done Splash at that point? Which I love Splash. I you know I'd have to check timeline one hundred percent on that uh, soundtrack. I'm ninety nine percent sure Splash came out first. Um, New Warwick Davis from playing one of the Ewoks on uh, Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. so got him the got him the the role. Uh, it's just it really holds up well. Yeah, it really does. And mm-hmm. I mean, even you you've got someone like me who's got the nostalgia from watching as a kid, and someone like Chelsea who's just watching it as an adult, and we both felt like it holds up. Really well. It's really well paced. 
great baby acting. Great baby acting. <laughs> uh, but Val is, he's so good in this movie. And I don't just mean he's just like, yeah, I wanted to be Mad Martin when I was a kid. I wanted to swing a sword around and, and just be this badass who could take out whole swaths of, like at the end of the movie, when he gets the armor and the sword, you're like, oh, he's about to throw down with these dudes mm-hmm. that I cannot wait. He's but a he, total underdog. Total underdog, all, yeah. yeah. Everybody scoffs at him. And he keeps saying, he says it the whole movie, he's like, I'm the greatest swordsman in the world. It was like, yeah, right. Till he gets a sword and Willow's like, you are great. <laughs> you know, but that's Val's acting. That's the first thing I ever saw him in. But looking at the rest of these movies, he never did that again because he's has the ability to be so diverse. He's the best part of that movie. By far. Yeah. I, like, period. He just is the best part of Willow. Oh, I, I I don't know how many minutes the scene takes up when he's first introduced in the when he's in that cage, but give me some I, water. I, I am a powerful sorcerer. See this acorn? I'll throw it at you and turn you to stone. Ooh, I'm really scared. No, don't, don't. There's a a pack here with an acorn pointed at me. I could have taken I could have taken another half an hour of just the comedy that was involved in that whole scene of him just trying to convince Willow, yeah, to to let him go, give him the water. There's some really good back and forth there, a lot of good chuckles um in in that scene, but throughout the whole thing. But yeah, I came away being I'm glad I watched Willow in the time I did as I've been binging through all these Val Kilmer movies because it kind of kept me motivated and like wanting to go more like deeper into his filmography because I was so impressed with the work he did in that. So that's what I got to say about Willow. Willow, 51% Rotten Tomatoes. Get the hell out of here with that crap. Uh, Was nominated for Best Sound and Best Visuals. Did not win either. But if you like fun movies, you got kids, you like fantasy movies, Willow, I think it's on Disney Plus right now. There's a TV show apparently coming out. Um, so also I wanted to say James Horner did this beautiful score. James Horner is one of the, the great you know, movie score uh, composers of the last 30, 35 years. Uh, tragically passed away in an accident in 2015, but really gorgeous score in that movie. Um, so Val does a Billy the Kid TV movie, um, and then he makes a movie with his, with Joanne yes, Wally. Yeah, which we, I, I think I was trying to find if that was easy enough to find on streaming, but it, I don't think it, it's either that one or the mo- one he did with, um, oh gosh, what is her name? She won the Oscar for LA. Mira Mir Servino. Uh, Kim oh, Basinger. Oh, Kim Basinger. Yeah, Excuse that's the me. one I could, I think was really hard to find online, but. I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I was a little curious about the movie he did with with Joan Wally, but I, you know, we got to we got to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. So after those two movies, he scores probably the biggest role he had had up to that point, uh, playing Jim Morrison in The Doors. Yeah. Now, I'd always okay. Full disclosure, I'm not a Doors fan. Yeah, I've never been a Doors fan. There's a couple songs they have that if they're playing, I'm fine. But I don't seek them out. I'm not a fan. Um, I think even the controversial, shall we say, Oliver Stone movies drum up enough interest that you still really 
want to see them. And when the Doors came out, he was still really in the middle of his of his prime. I mm-hmm. mean, he was coming off of um, Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July, and you know, right at the same time he made JFK. So I've always been curious, but I didn't watch the Doors. Um, until we were getting ready for this. And case in point, I was always told, if for nothing else, you need to watch The Doors because Val Kilmer is so incredible in it. He does, Yeah, he transformed himself into into Jim Morrison. And I felt, it's it almost seemed like he was communing with him. Uh, uh, he had such a special angle on how he was going to portray him. And um, I've heard he, I mean, sound ended up sounding so much like him that member, the living members of the Doors couldn't tell the difference between Jim's right. voice and Val's voice, which is just one example. Of, that's yeah, that's like a like one of the things you always heard over the years was that that piece of it. So mm-hmm. um, it was a super sought after project. Like it got passed around in the eighties. De Palma, Scorsese, and Freakin were all considered mm-hmm. to direct directed and in the role of, of morrison these were all of the actors considered and i'm just, glad you pulled this list i gotta, don't know i don't gotta know this. yeah we got to bring this stuff up for these mo- the, the next few i have the potential before val uh tom cruise johnny depp john travolta richard gear were all considered mm. um i think at all those richard gears the one that makes me go I can't even. I can't even see it a little That's bit. Funny, he was the one that I thought of of all of those. I was like, I think Richard Gere could have done really? that. Really? Oh, I think I think Depp and Travolta could have pulled it off, but not as good as Kilmer. And then apparently Bono, Michael Hutchins from In It in Excess both wanted the role, oh. and it was offered to Ian Asbury, the singer of the Cult, and he turned it down because he didn't like the way Jim was being portrayed in the film. Oh, uh, again. You just pointed it out, much like with Top Secret, Val is really singing in this movie, and it's it's so impressive. Um, there is that moment when uh, they're performing on is it the Ed Sullivan show and they were told that they had to change the lyric um, of Girl We Couldn't Get Much Higher um, because it was too um, scandalous for TV and um, they considered it to be referring to to getting high and that's mm -hmm. not even what the lyrics meant which you think that that kind of thing would be regulated to the 60s but we still deal with that stuff today I (laughs) but i really like what val kilmer does in that moment and the way he like just says the higher line loud into the microphone with so much attitude looking into the camera um it uh it was one of the like highlights of the movie for me i really i really liked uh that moment i felt like that was kind of like the full gym essence was there that was one of the first moments where I was like, there it is. Because I, I will say, as good as the job Val does, for a lot of the movie, you know, when you look back at old picture Jim Morrison, he looks incredibly menacing. Like, mm. he looks like a psychopath or a, like a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. He never smiles. He's always got this death stare going. 
And I didn't feel like Val had a lot of that menacingness. He was very soft and yeah, and everything. But that was one of the first parts I was like, oh God, there it is. Mm-hmm. There, there's Jim. And most of the the performing parts, just I mean, anytime they were playing live, when he's mouthing off to the cops, yeah, the big climatic concert where he's got everybody marching with him on stage, mm-hmm. uh, singing "Break On Through," it's. How was he not nominated? I just don't like. What more do you want from someone? Yes, and I'm sure it like. It's why I I really do appreciate what actors do. I don't know what good actors do because when I think about how like self conscious I would be having to play a person like Jim Morrison in some of the kind of um, what may appear as a bit like silly when he was kind of getting into like his trances on stage. It, it looks it it could on paper it'd be like how am I going to pull this off when someone in real life has already done it and how do I do it so it doesn't look like a caricature or like cartoonish or anything and I feel that he did it and did him justice uh, the the real life Jim Morrison and didn't make him out to seem like a joke he um he he did it in a in a in a real like uh just committed way. Sure. I, because I, I, I just kept thinking, I was like, Jim Morrison is kind of a lot to handle and Oliver Stone's a lot to handle. Yeah. They get, I, I, I was like, this could have really gone off the rails and been like dipped into kind of some like over the top uh, overacting. But I think all Val Kilmer's dialed into is probably exactly what um, Oliver Stone wanted and it's what the, the film needed. Well, it goes back to how serious he takes the craft, mm-hmm. right? And, I read somewhere that he was reluctant to take the role because he's, you know, back to his faith and beliefs. He he was concerned he'd be uh, promoting substance abuse, which he's vehemently against. Yeah. And he kind of talked to Oliver Stone about it, and they came to the conclusion that, you know, we're actually showing how uh, damaging it was to Jim and how it all that stuff took him down a spiral and into a very, very, very early death. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we don't want to touch on the movies too much, but this is a big one. Yeah. I just want to touch on a few other things. So, you know, first of all, talking about Val's preparation, you know, he like lost a bunch of weight, learned 50 songs of of the Doors, sang 15 of them. And like you said, that they couldn't tell the difference between the two. He hung out with the Doors' primary producer a lot to get tidbits and mm-hmm. really learn a lot. But the movie itself... It's not great. It's not as bad as people act like it is. Uh-huh. There are some really silly parts. Um, I think that when Meg Ryan, who, by the way, I, I, I guess the first person that almost got the part was Patricia Arquette. I think she would have been a better better cast. Yeah, casting. she's got a little bit more like grittiness yeah. or sadness. Meg Ryan's it, talented. Yeah. I just it was an it was an odd singer in that role. But um there's some parts with her that I thought were a little silly, and there was just so much obnoxious exposition like when they're like we took drugs to open our mind (laughs) not do this it's like okay nobody's ever uttered those words in real Mm -hmm. life um but i think for a law as long as it is it it's paced very well i was never bored yeah um and it was interesting to learn more about this band and that time i thought all the acting was pretty good you know kyle mclaughlin was was really good in it yes Um, but uh, yeah, Val is just no point in the movie was I like I'm looking at Val Kilmer. He's he just and like I said that 
when he's when he's ranting in the crowd at the big when he the big concert at the end and um, everybody's marching with him singing break on through and his mannerisms as he's I mean oh my god he's just unbelievable you're all a bunch of fucking slaves how long you think it's gonna last how long are you gonna let them push you around I tell you this I'm gonna get my kicks before the whole shit house goes up in flames. All right. I would say this would this would probably be the role that would have also been when a lot of young women were probably and and men. It's probably just when he became the total like matinee idol and was on posters in people's room. I I, am, I imagine this was the 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 def. I mean because. Already Jim Morrison, people want posters of him on the wall, found him sexy, and then here comes along this lookalike who's embodying it. And so I could see this also probably being a big change and just like it probably changed the whole way Hollywood saw him and was like, how can this guy carry a film? So and it'll get, you know, people excited to see this this good looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Like, I think he got some attention with Top Gun. But with the doors, everybody took him seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not everybody because he he didn't get any he didn't get any nominations, and he yeah. probably didn't get some roles he should have gotten. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what more you could want from somebody. I'm especially with. I actually have a problem with people getting Oscars so easily for playing real people. Yeah, I think it's when somebody creates something like Denzel Washington winning from Training Day is so much more impressive to me than. You know, somebody winning for playing it and actually like like Meryl Streep doing a two hour impression of Maggie Thatcher. Um, but 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 all that aside, the point I'm trying to make is people win for biopics a lot, and Val wasn't even nominated for this incredible performance of this yeah. complicated mu- musician. Like, come on, man! It makes me wonder if he doesn't really like play the game that is involved a lot in like courting the oh, academy. Oh, I'm sure. And, um, I'm sure. I think he. I, I. I. A little bit from what I got from the memoir is that he doesn't put a lot of stock in what the Oscars. I was just going to say, say maybe he doesn't him. care. I. I mean, I think he. I. I believe I don't want to misquote him, but I think he said it would have been nice to have been recognized. But um, it's always nice. It, to be recognized. I don't care what your like, job is; you want to be recognized. Yeah, but I think he also like kind of probably going back to his connection with Marlon Brando, just. Marlon Brando, I think, lost a lot. I mean, didn't really care for the Academy. No, he didn't show up for his Godfather. Um, yeah, man. and pissed a lot of people off because of it. But yeah. I, I think Val Kilmer kind of uh, agreed with Marlon and the way he yeah. handled all that. So, so the Doors. You want to see an amazing performance? If nothing else, watch the Doors. Fifty-seven percent Rotten Tomatoes. No Oscar noms. Um, compli- complicated movie. But and I think watchable. the remaster, it, it, I feel like it is like a remastered version that's on um, HBO, HBO. And Maybe. It, it looks it looks really good. It looks great. So, yeah. yeah. So after that, he makes uh, Thunderheart, which... I'm so happy I got to see this movie. Yeah, I'd seen it in a long time. You know, I think that, you know, we talked about he had a, a starring role in Top, Top Secret and, and co-starred in Real Genius, but The Doors and Thunderheart was like, Okay, he can carry a movie by himself. And we're in 1992 now for those keeping track. I should have put the dates down. No, yeah. no. Um, Thunderheart's solid movie. Um, it covers a topic not talked about enough. And 
you know, it's if you like a mystery, it was like a detective mystery. It was a, it was a decent mystery filled with insanely talented actors. It, you know? it, Sam Shepard and and Val and his mind. I mean, his name slips my mind. Um, but the the Native American actor. Yes, and he's um, in he's in Maverick and he's in Dancers with Wolves. And that, isn't that guy's he in Die awesome. Hard uh, Three? I feel like I recognize. He is him in Die Hard Three. Yeah. yeah, he's he's awesome, awesome actor. Yes, I've, I'm so sorry I don't have his name in front of me, but yeah, he is incredible. I'm gonna look it up. But go ahead, give me your thoughts on Thunderheart. Um, Thunderheart, I um, you I was you can watch it on Hulu. So there you go. There's that plug. Um, it's Graham it is, Green. Graham Green, thank you. Total total highlight of the film. Love him constantly flipping them off. He's good at as everything. He's riding <laughs> away on the motorcycle. Um, I th- I think this would this film would be a really good companion piece with um, a Wind River. Have you ever seen that movie? I did. I did not care for it. Okay. but that's all right. Um, yeah, this in a way I think is a better movie than Wind River, but I did like Wind absolutely. River. Um, uh, this. I I I think that the story that it has to tell is um, it, I, for a little background uh, it, in this on the Sioux reservation there was I think it was in the eighties um, there was a lot of conflict happening um, and I guess there was inner tribal um, violence occurring and there's been in the 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 movie there's been a murder that. Val Kilmer's character Ray Lavoie is brought in to work because he his boss did some research and found out that he has some Sioux uh, in his heritage from his father who he um, had pretty much disowned it seemed at that point so you're grappling with this character who doesn't have a good experience with the Native American side I mean he he wants to pretty much forget about that part of of his bloodline and his history and um the the film and the characters he's interacting with as he goes along i i think the the film really gracefully tackles what it it must have been like for a character like that to be unpacking so much of their own trauma amongst this really traumatic setting of what's happening with the violence on the reservation yeah, we don't talk about that stuff enough in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does a really good job of talking about a lot of problems that happen in those communities. But but really just talking about Val, one of the things I liked was this is the first time we saw him in a role where he's kind of, well, in, in terms of the, the big movies that we're talking about, where he's really unsure of himself mm-hmm. and not the strongest character on screen and a little timid. And I don't, we haven't seen that in any other movie he's been. He's always self-assured and uh, charming and the most probably domi- dominating character on the screen. And this movie was not. It's much I mean, more subdued. Yeah. Much more subdued. And it showed how how versatile he was. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, he actually, towards as it was getting towards like the end of the second act of the film, he started really kind of like relax his character was relaxing a little bit more and we could see a little bit more of his like charismatic side he wasn't just this stiff kind of closed off fbi agent um and uh i thought the film like 
really um, really saying when he started opening himself up, when the character started opening himself up to um, building relationships with the with the people in his community and and better understanding um, his Native American background and um, the but on on its own, it's just a very good like thriller like crime yeah. movie i Solid i was movie. really um really really impressed and yeah i liked i liked seeing a different side sure of Al in this yeah yes, like you said 89 percent rot tomatoes deserve no nominations it's a solid movie you like i think it? more people should see I, ca- yeah. I had never heard of this movie until until now but i had yeah. seen it since i was a kid i'm glad i got to rewatch it and you know if yeah if you like a crime crime mystery crime thriller Check it out. With a satisfying ending. Satisfying ending. Yes. Great. Yeah. And and just tons of good acting. Even the people you've never seen mm-hmm. anything else. Awesome. They're all uh, really good. Yeah. Uh, so real quick, we're going to touch on, he has a cameo in True Romance, which is an awesome movie, which we will probably go more in depth someday if we do a Tony Scott or Tarantino episode. Um, but he plays this. The mentor. Yeah. Uh, the tie, his, yeah, his, <laughs> his character name is the mentor, but he's playing this hallucinated image of Elvis who's speaking to Christian Slater's character a few times in the movie um, singing again he comes in singing he uh-huh. loves to sing does <laughs> song not song and dance man does not speak like Elvis once <laughs> which I love he just sounds like Val Kilmer you never really get a good look at his face he just comes in certain moments to mm-hmm. advise Christian Slater when he's unsure which is kind of a cool cameo it is, yeah. I like that Tony Scott wanted to work with him again and 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 sought him out. And Val jumped at the opportunity. He's Val Kilmer um, is a huge like rock and roll fan. I mean, and he loves music. He drops a lot of musicians uh, throughout his memoir, like and even really like contemporary ones uh, today that he. He really likes. So he talked about like the Black Keys, and uh, yeah, he was like, "Of course, I'm gonna play Elvis, even if my character's name isn't Elvis, or you can barely tell that I'm Elvis. Just in theory, if I'm playing Elvis, I'll take it." So. Yeah, true romance. If you've never seen True Romance, go watch it immediately. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just I really pay attention to the opening credits and just watch yourself go. All of these people are involved in this movie, not just the actors. Like, yeah. watch all the credits. Mm-hmm. Your jaw's going to hit the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome, awesome movie. Yes. So he does a cameo in True Romance, and then he does a movie we've talked about recently, Tombstone. I have a notepad in front of me that I wrote down notes for all these movies. I have no <laughs> notes for Tombstone because I don't need them. Tombstone is amazing, and Val Kilmer is the best part of that movie, bar none. And the, the movie made our top 10 um, action films from 90 to 95. So I think it had a solid like middle ranking um, on our list. But uh, yeah, the moment Val Kilmer arrives on screen, you really are transfixed. You can't take your eyes off him. He's uh, he's really uh, suave. And uh, again, it's really tapping into his quick wittedness. So um, steals and, every scene he's in. Yeah. And his um his gunslinging work, I mean, is really impressive. I know that was something Micah and I talked about a lot. That even for playing a guy who's on death's door, basically, it, I I think he played that believably, where you were like, okay, this person is very sick, but they also had like their one last mission that they wanted to see through, and um he played it right. very believably. Another role where the whole movie, and by the way, I've seen Tombstone about a billion times, and I never ever look at him and go, I'm looking at Val Kilmer. Mm. He is just 
I don't know. Like, look, not nominating him for The Doors, you know, it was a controversial movie, which makes me laugh now thinking about Rami Malek winning <laughs> Freddie Mercury, which that movie was just as controversial. But getting nominated for a lead role is, is I get it. How he wasn't nominated for Best Supporting oh, Actor like in, in this the back, is right there. revolting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He probably should have won, let alone be nominated. Yeah. So many great one-liners. Again, not even a comedy. He's he's the funniest person in the movie. Mm-hmm. All these great comedic time, all this great comedic timing and line delivery. He's he's charming and and scary. You know the final mm-hmm. the final gunfight with uh, Michael Bean playing Johnny Ringo. He's so intimidating. I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your Huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. <clears throat> Play for blood, remember? I was just fooling about. I wasn't. What's the most memorable line from the movie of all the great lines? I'm your Huckleberry, Huckleberry. which is the name of his memoir. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this, do you think this is the role he most associates his career with? I Do you think this is the one he's the proudest of? I think so. I'm sure he also loved that line because of his affection for Mark Twain. (laughs) Um, But uh, that, that goes into it. It's interesting. There's a lot of interconnected things that have, that I learned in researching Val Kilmer that, um, yeah, he's, a. I, I think that if he's not the most proud of this character, the most connected to it, I mean, he should be because anytime I've brought up tombstone, um, around people and mixed company, like without fail, someone lights up and talks about what that movie meant to them and what that performance meant to them. And like, when we were kids, we all wanted to be Doc Holliday, and he's dying in the movie. Mm-hmm. He's sick. He's dying. Yeah, and he was the coolest person in the movie. And that's not even a knock because Kurt Russell so cool. Sam Elliott is always cool. Mm-hmm. Even Michael Bean, Powers Booth. Everything about Tombstone is cool. Yeah, and Val Kilmer is the coolest part of the movie. Yes, perfectly put. <laughs> So Tombstone, 74% Rotten Tomatoes, which is entirely too low. Zero nominations. If you have not seen Tombstone, what are you doing with your life? Please go bathe in the waters of Doc Holliday, portrayed by Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. So another movie that made our top 10 list we got coming up here. And you're right. We are going to go right into the infamous Batman Forever. We talked about this a lot a couple episodes ago, yeah. so I think let's focus on on Val. Yes. It, it's it so res, you know, I'm the I'm the resident Batman fan here. Just adored the Michael Keaton movies, watched them incessantly in my mm-hmm. home. And was still I was bummed that Michael Keaton was I remember being bummed that Michael Keaton was not repri- reprising his role. But loved Val Kilmer. 
you know, especially growing up watching Willow, I was like, let's go. I, I'm, yes, I'm in. Let's mm-hmm. do it. I, uh, I mean, yes. If you've if you've heard our action movie um, of the early '90s um, episode, you've all heard why I loved this Batman movie so much, and why I do love Val Kilmer in this role. I think he understood the material. He was going a little bit more for the campy '60s television show Batman, and but he brought it. Well, and he I don't translated mean, I don't, it to the big screen. I don't mean to cut you off there. Um, I wonder how much of that you you know he did, mm-hmm. but I do think a lot of that was Schumacher's vision. And and if and if it was still Burton, I don't think Val would have done something drastically different. Mm-hmm. But I think the script um, dictated what kind of Batman Val chose to play and it wasn't overly campy i think he was yeah, still like it was toned down yeah um he still got the kung fu going and beating up bad guys in the opening scenes and i was down for it yeah and um i mean looks wise i think uh it, it he was at the right age and he looked the part he made a great looking bruce wayne and uh i really i really liked his chemistry with nicole kidman in the movie and and he has really great things to say about her i, I mean i think he um looks on this performance as yes i was playing i was playing a batman not many people get to do that it's pretty cool but i i'm not sure that he he the material i don't think really spoke to him all that much and that seems to be a big big factor in why he chooses roles. Um, there is a little backstory to when he found out he was wanted for this part. He had actually just been touring a bat cave in Africa and um, uh, had been out of touch with his manager. And um, after uh, the, his, his tour through Africa, he touched base and his manager was like, what have you been up to? And he said, oh, I've been exploring bat caves. And his manager said, no way, because I have an offer for you to play Batman. Yeah. Um, if you don't know, Michael Keaton was going to do the third movie. He really didn't want to do it without Burton, but was going to stick around and just didn't like the direction the film was going. So he drops mm-hmm. out. They reached out to Ethan Hawke first because they wanted a young <laughs> Batman and he turned it down and he regrets it, apparently. Uh, they went after Keanu Reeves, Billy Baldwin. If you don't know, in the early 90s, Hollywood was really trying to make William Baldwin a thing. Uh, Dean Kane, who they ended up not mm-hmm. going with because he was already Superman on TV. Tom Hanks, Kurt Russell, Rafe Fiennes, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Johnny Depp. Mm. Uh, Val signed the contract Script unseen. He just said, I want to be Batman. Let's do this. As the Batman fan here, I'll tell you, I think he did a pretty good job. I don't think as problematic as that movie is, I don't think any of it had anything it's to do with him. Fault, yeah. Um, even Bob Kane, who is considered the primary creator of Batman, there's a controversy around that. I'll let you guys Google it. He always said before he died, that he thought Val was the truest to the comic version of Batman. Up to that point, I'm inclined to agree with him because Keaton was so... There was just such a, a seriousness, and, mm. and you need to be serious as Batman, but I think Val definitely fleshed things out a little more and, and was a much better, much better 
Bruce Wayne than Michael Keaton was, mm-hmm. although I prefer the Michael Keaton Batman. Oh, Val Kilmer looks so good with the Bruce Wayne glasses. He's just, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I liked his Bruce Wayne. I like how they, I do like how they really dove into the complexity of, of him, you know, having Nicole Kidman being a, a psychiatrist. <laughs> and I, I appreciated that part of the movie, but there's just, you know, I don't know. Val could be, you know, you never saw Batman smile before until she, she kisses him in that, that scene. But yeah. when he chews out Chris O'Donnell, uh, for saving him, uh, I love when Chris O'Donnell starts hitting him, blaming for his parents' death, and he says, grabs his hand, and says, "If Bruce Wayne could have saved your parents, he would have." It's the best line delivery Aww. in the movie. It's I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, Val, you you did nothing wrong with that. You're you're not the problem with that movie. And he dodged a bullet with the next Batman. He, he so. turned <laughs> he turned it down because he said. He thought the villains were starting to gain more attention than Batman, which I don't think there's anything you can do about that. Even in the Nolan movies, Batman begins, Batman's the center. But in The Dark Knight, Joker's the center. And then there's kind of a balance in The Dark Knight Rises. But Batman has probably the best cast of villains in comics. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to see them just as much as him, and you see him in every movie. So, of course... But you're right. It was good that he dropped out because Batman and Robin's an abomination. And I, I think he dropped out so that he could work on the Saint, um, which I, I don't know if that fared as, as well for him. But we'll get to the yeah. Saint. Uh, so Batman Forever, thirty-eight percent Rotten Tomatoes, was nominated for cinematography, sound, and visuals, but won nothing. Okay. All right. Next up, we've got <laughs> the masterpiece Heat. I have one note wrote down. It says, banger, I love this movie. I love Heat. This movie rocks, um, and Val is amazing in it. He is. I think you should tell what you said to me about uh, the thing Val does in the bank robbery scene. My favorite moment that Val Kilmer does in this movie is they rob the bank in the middle the the incredibly famous bank shootout in Heat. Is the most realistic heist out there. The sound is unbelievable. I love this scene so much. They rob the bank, and they don't know that Pacino's police squad is closing in on them, and they're getting in the, the getaway car one at a time. They're all happy. They're laughing. They're patting each other in the back. The last person to come out of the bank is Val. He is smiling. He's so happy. He's like, we did it. We pulled this huge heist off. And he, I love the way he does this. He's about to get in the car and notices the police across the street. And there's not some big dramatic change. Mm-hmm. His face doesn't slowly drop. It's, you could tell he's a professional bank robber because he goes from smiling to shooting immediately. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take aim. He doesn't do anything. He throws the bag in the car and starts firing at the cops. His face goes from smiling to straight face. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, it's such a, a micro uh, a, a micro expression that he he makes in that moment that is really really controlled. It very cool. Definitely gives you goosebumps when you see it. Um, it, it it's a really good. I'm really happy that you pointed that scene out to me because, yeah, it makes me appreciate the, the his whole performance in a whole new way. What he what he was doing with that character of Chris. 
he had to share this movie with two of the greatest actors of all time, still arguably in their primes, and he holds his own so much that he gets to be on the cover and all the posters with him. And there was actually a, um, there's a reason why he's placed in the poster the way he is. That was a request of his because uh, Michael Mann or one of the producers, someone basically apologized that they couldn't pay Val at the rate that really was his going rate at the time. They, they couldn't afford that. But he was like, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to work alongside two acting icons, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. So what I'm going to ask to is that they place me in between them on the poster. And that was like his biggest uh, payday in his mind for for doing that movie. You know what I love is Tom Sizemore probably has more lines in that movie than Val Kilmer. Yeah. But who do you remember more? And Tom Sizemore, controversies aside, really good actor. Mm-hmm. And he's really good in Heat. Yeah. Val, I mean, that's what's so, Val's so good. He doesn't even have that many lines. But the scenes that he's in, you're just drawn to him. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, um, I think that uh, his experience, his his um, experience with guns, I think, really lent uh, to playing that character. It made him, I think, that much more comfortable uh, performing and and doing what was needed to play play a bank robber. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, always comes prepared, fully committed. Um, and I might actually like the parts when he's not speaking as much in the movie. I think I like what he's doing more with his face um, in, in, the, in the quiet moments. And I really love his voice. I love his speaking voice. Yeah, you know, you're right. He, he does so much without speaking. You can just tell. Like, you, you tell how loyal he is to uh, Macaulay. And you can tell how close a relationship is, even though De Niro does most of the talking. Mm-hmm. You can tell how much De Niro trusts him. Yeah. And cares about him, and he, even though he, everything's subtle, uh, the scene halfway through the movie where they abort whatever they're doing because Tarantino's like something. I mean, uh, excuse me, I don't know why I said Tarantino. <laughs> De Niro says like something's not right. Val doesn't say anything. He's like, "Hey, we gotta go," and he stops drilling and he just goes. Like their relationship was so fleshed out with Val hardly saying anything. And his silence made him scarier too. So that, yeah, he's yeah. like this guy who will do anything Robert De Niro tells him to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard to talk too much more um, because Val's, I mean, dude, look, Heat's amazing. And I think we covered as much as we could about Val's part, but go watch Heat. Yeah. Heat rocks my ass off. What's next, Chelsea? All right. Oh, from- wait, I'm sorry. Heat. Uh, <laughs> 87% Rotten Tomatoes. Not high enough. No nominations. Bullshit. Yeah. What's next, Chelsea? Insane. Oh, highway robbery. Um, We move from Heat into the island of Dr. Moreau. Woof. Uh, 1996. This is a story written by H.G. Wells, and it was brought to the modern day for the film um, and Val Kilmer is playing the character of Montgomery who is a bit unhinged. It's um, I, he's, he's bringing some flair, some spice. I, I wasn't always sure if what he was doing fit what the rest of the actors were doing, but I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. This movie sounds like it was hell to make. There was a lot involved. I mean, 
Marlon Brando was, I think, ad-libbing a lot of his lines, and he also had an earpiece being fed his lines because he really wasn't couldn't memorize them. But he was grieving. He was going through it. There, there was it. It was just a bit of a mess. But uh, I like how the movie starts. I just think it kind of falls apart pretty quickly. Um, I, I can't the the the. The makeup, they I, I give them credit for trying to do the, the human animal hybrids um and in a really practical way and and not go into 90s CGI, but uh it did start to look a little silly after a while. I uh I haven't seen this movie since it came out at Blockbuster. I remember just really being bored. Uh, I remember Brando. I remember Kilmer. I remember the the little tiny guy. Yeah, and Which, I remember the dog face guy. Doctor Evil and Mini Me. I didn't realize is based on the relationship that Marlon Brando <laughs> has. There's a part when he's playing. They're playing dueling pianos, and just like what I've seen in Austin right. Powers. Um, I just re- yeah, I just remember being really bored. Uh, but Val, if you're out there listening, I do want to tell you the only reason I rented this movie. Um, was because you were in it. And I remember seeing the trailers. I remember seeing the commercials. And you being in it just made me want to see it. Mm, and he uh, apparently, I mean, he had a lot of sway. I I, I think he was an, a big reason why David Thewlis was cast in that film, who has gone on to have a, a great career, a great British actor, um, been in a lot of the Harry Potter films. But um, uh, yeah, I it just... I think he thought he was surrounding himself with some great talent. It just went off the rails a bit. 24% Rotten Tomatoes, which is probably too high. <laughs> no Oscar noms. No no surprise there. It's a bad, 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 bad movie. Uh, don't waste your time. You can watch it for free on YouTube. but Don't do that either. <laughs> just don't, just don't watch it. That's how I spent my morning. Don't, don't waste your time. Uh, next up, Ghost in the Darkness. This is a fun movie. It was. Um, gosh, I really, really, really liked Michael Douglas in this. Um, in this this movie, on on top of, I mean, th- there there were a lot of great um uh, actors and just characters to root for in this story about the uh, man eating lions, uh, which was a real story. Um, it it these these lions came through and killed several people in this village in in Africa and, and at the turn of the century. And well, specifically, I think it was the Irish government was was paying uh, laborers from the Middle East and India to build a railroad through a certain section of of Australia and the yeah or these, Africa. Or excuse me, Africa. I am. <laughs> Forgive me, everyone. That's a couple couple of weird mistakes I've made. Um, but yes, it is, apparently it's true. These two lions were were coming through and and uh, killing people in the in the night. And I don't think it was as well. I don't think I know it wasn't as dramatized as the movie makes it. But apparently, these lions were captured and they are on display in a museum somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in like the Midwest. Um, and I think the director of this movie, I was looking at his IMDb, and he, I think, did Predator, one of the Predator films, which makes sense now that I saw the way he approached uh, filming this at times in a, through a horrific kind of lens. And um, uh, the way the lions were shot reminded me a lot of what I've seen in Predator. So, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, Val is, is, he's, 
he's again kind of playing a bit of an innocent in the movie. Yeah, like, closer to his um, thunder heart role. Yeah, um, very valiant. I little naive. Yeah, I think he he's doing good work, but I, I honestly, what I just liked about the movie the most, I think, was really just some great sweeping shots of Africa, and I really liked how it. Um, it, the story of these lions, they were also able to touch on what was happening in terms of the political, racial, um, religious uh, conflict right. that was occurring with all of these people being brought in as laborers. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was handled. Uh, that was really handled deftly. Yeah. Speaking uh, just towards Val, um, perfectly fine performance. I I guess he was trying to do an Irish accent, <laughs> but I couldn't. Sometimes it sounded like he was doing no accent at all. Which, um, sorry to jump ahead to Alexander. Did everyone just decide that Colin Farrell didn't have to change his accent, so then they were all just going to speak Listen, an Irish accent? We'll get to Alexander in a second. I think Val tried to use that same Irish accent. Well, we'll get to Alexander in a second. But uh, Val, perfectly fine job. I, I like the part where he thinks he's figured out a trap and he's yeah. frustrated because it's mm -hmm. not working. You know, he's never bad, and he was good in this movie. It's unfortunate for him that Michael Douglas had the cool role yeah. that kind of overpowered him. But overall, Val does a really great job. Uh, I love the the dream sequence with his yes. wife and he the, the, the concern on his face. A charming ending for him. The movie gets a little silly and they find the cave and they're like, they're hunting for sports. It's like, <laughs> all right, come on, man. But overall, I had fun watching it. Uh, Ghost in the Darkness... Um, 49%, it's a little low. And it won for sound, which I think, yeah, the 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 sound with the lions and everything, really well done. Yes, so. yes. It was very compelling. And um, I also think it must have been great for um, for Val Kilmer to film a movie set in Africa because it's, I found out how much he loves Right, Africa. he was in Africa a lot, which made he him loves just Africa. jump at being in this yeah. movie. So, All right, Chelsea, here we go. The movie that tell, started tell, the obsession. Tell the, tell the people out there about The Saint. <laughs> so The Saint is, um, it was actually a, a TV show uh, starring Roger Moore in the 60s um, that uh, is, this. he's playing this sort of thief for hire, that spy character. Val Kilmer had a, had a dream to turn, well, yeah, he wanted uh, to turn the saint into a series like James Bond, like Mission Impossible. And um, I actually watching the saint, I think I see a lot of early Mission Impossible films and I see a lot of the Pierce Brosnan uh, Bond movies um, as uh, as influence. Um, I mean, Elizabeth Shue is is. Um, at times, it seemed like she and Val Kilmer were kind of in different movies, um, but it but they were both going for it, and that was fun. Um, it was kind of fun to see her in um, so something other. I've just seen her in Cocktail so many times, which I love her in that, but it's nice to to see her in a new role. Um, but, yeah, well, again. She's coming off an Oscar nomination for Leaving Las Vegas, too. Yeah, yeah. So I could see where they had high hopes for this, this, um, this movie and this franchise that he hoped to turn it into uh, with the type of talent. And I really like the movie on the whole, even with some of the, I, I think sometimes his performance becomes a little silly, like when he adopts the South African accent. Um, he's really committed to it, so you can't that's take a, your eyes off it. That's a hard accent. 
Yeah, as we've seen Leo do in Blood Diamond and everything. Matt but uh, um, so I I think it could have been cut a little shorter. The movie the movie did drag on a little bit. I was kind of like, oh yeah. my god, it should have ended like half an hour ago. Yeah. But um, but that being said, he. You could tell the passion for the role is on the screen. He came to play. And uh, yeah, what do you think of the saint? You know, a lot of potential. I mean, I see why it was not beloved when it came out. It does drag. I think the problem is the movie nothing to do with Val. I, I like how much fun he had with it. Some of his characters are really like silly and, <laughs> and just, man, I don't even know what word I'm trying to say, but... I think he did that on purpose. He was trying to have fun with it. Yeah. And, you know, the opening scene's really cool. He's got that cat suit on mm-hmm. and he's he's sneaking into the that that embassy or that um that that palace in Russia. And when I saw that opening scene, I had high hopes mm-hmm. for the movie because that was a really cool scene. And it started strong. Yeah, it starts really strong, but it does it does drag on. There's no real climax. It just kind of ends with a thud and again, nothing to do with nothing to do with Val. I think he had fun making this movie and I think the editing and the directing were the, were the real problems with it, but can certainly see why it is not, not a beloved movie it was not a successful movie. And I think if I, and if you have to pin one movie that sort of sees the, the end to his, big 90s trajectory I I would probably pin it on the saint flopping and I think he had a hard time coming back from there um and uh and he's very honest um in his book about oh I mean he was affected by the financial crisis and also his divorce Uh, he he takes a lot of movies after this point for the paycheck because I was going to bring that up later yeah, yeah you could tell um and he even has good things to say about those movies. I, I, it goes back to, I think, this real sweet nature that is inherent in him and him trying to always find the good and the love and like everything. And so got to give him credit for that. And and we can quickly just touch on the Prince of Egypt. I'm not sure if you've well, ever before, seen this. Be- before oh, before okay. we do, I just want to say real fast, some other people um, considered for the saint, Hugh Grant, Kenneth Branagh, Mel Gibson, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Christian Slater, George Clooney, Kevin <laughs> Costner, Johnny Depp, and Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, Johnny Depp again. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's quite a list. And Val only signed up because he had availability after he turned down Batman and Robin. 30% mm. Rotten Tomatoes, no nominations. Uh, it's watchable. So Prince of Egypt, I have seen it. It's been a very long time. I was going to let you riff on it real quick. Yeah. Um, I, I at first didn't know if I was going to rewatch this one or not. Um, but I actually watched it this morning. I, um, and I'm so glad I did it. Um, it's really, really, really well directed. It's a good animated movie. It's, um, I'm surprised it's not, um, it's not beloved as like much of the Disney classics, but it's it's a really good animated movie. It is. It's 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 truly gorgeous, and I mean, it is a classic story from the Bible, so you got great material to work with there. Um, but uh, what I thought 
Val, I was actually sad to find out that that actually is not Val Kilmer singing. And there, there's a song that Moses sings in the film that I was like, oh, is that is that him? It did sound a lot like him, but I guess for whatever reason, they decided not to go with him singing the part. But I still think he brings a lot of gravitas to the the Moses character, who is a little bit of a rascal uh, in the in the beginning when he's he's still living with the pharaoh and being raised as one of the royalty uh and as the film progresses i think like there's a real weight that his vocal performance has to carry as he's being affected by like the power of speaking to god and funny enough he also voices voices God. god which the um i was reading that the directors wanted all of the cast members to actually whisper the lines of god and they were going to layer their voices on top of each other so you can actually hear like female voices under underneath um got like the main vowel voice of god i guess when they brought him in to record his part they realized oh we actually need one voice that is louder um, whether, I don't know. I feel like all along they knew they wanted Val Kilmer to, to, to do both parts, but. Role of a um, lifetime. God. Yeah. And Charlton Heston, I guess, played both the voice of God and played Moses in the Ten Commandments. So there's a nice little tip of the hat, um, there, but, uh, totally, totally rewatch Prince of Egypt if you have a chance because the music is great but the direction like the 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 film is just beautiful and it's really really uh interesting I just think it's super interesting yeah 80% Rotten Tomatoes nominated for score a uh, Hans Zimmer baby mm-hmm. love Hans Zimmer and one for uh, best original song yeah. uh yeah good movie a uh, good movie I'm not religious and I still I yeah. would tell you recommend it I, it's it's good stuff all right here we go What's next, Chelsea? Just say it. Say it. <laughs> Alexander. Jesus Christ. Or as it's called on Netflix. What is it? Alexander revisited the, the final, final director. So, so 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 there's four versions of Alexander. You have the theatrical version, the director's cut, the final cut, and the <laughs> ultimate cut. Uh, going into this, I was I was researching because I wanted to see what is the one I should watch. Everyone pretty much agreed that the final cut and the ultimate cut um, are probably the best ones the final cuts on netflix um if that is a good version of the movie i do not want to see the theatrical version like holy shit what a terrible movie like (laughs) oliver stone what happened man that's a oh my god there there are some things to like about it i think the what the the sets are really cool Uh, uh there's some great beds (laughs) Um, I think my favorite uh, part of the movie is Angelina Jolie plays his mother both as a child and as an adult (laughs) in real life. Angelina Jolie is one year older. Yeah, she's one year older than Colin Farrell. Good God. Uh, Yeah. Let's look. The movie is god awful. There's two people in the movie that are not god awful. One is Christopher Plummer because he's Mm -hmm. a legend, and Val Kilmer. Yeah. Truly, I'm not. I'm not saying it's just this episode. Val was one of the only two people in that movie that I wasn't like. You are stinking up the joint. I actually, I I will defend Angelina Jolie. I think she was doing. Uh, I I I I like the the villainess that she, she was. Uh, she wasn't bad, but she was. She was going for it. Yeah, she she was, but uh, Val. I, I agree with you that his performance stands out um, amongst them all. I, I think uh, he he's kind of playing, I mean, this character that's really hard to like because of just how vulgar and awful. And I mean, as this king that 
there's uh, I mean, I feel like his introduction, he comes in and he basically tries to rape Angelina Jolie, um, but she fights him off uh, off of her. And there's this 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 whole I mean, he's able to convey a lot with, I think, pretty limited screen time and play this very large character that plays a big part in shaping the Alexander, the uh, the Colin Farrell character. And um, so he's bombastic. He he is very like eye catching. Yeah, I mean, I I cannot stress this enough, and this really does speak to Val and 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 Christopher Plummer. A vast array of talent in this movie that is wasted. Even Anthony Hopkins, who is in the first scene and the last scene, and narrates throughout this three-hour and thirty-three-minute disaster, and even he is really stiff and. Mm. You just did it's not, not his best narration. He, he did not want to be there. Yeah. You just tell. I, I look. I'd always heard over the years that Alexander was bad. So going into it, I was preparing myself, and I was I was not prepared. Mm. What a what a real stinker. Jeez. Yeah, there's some pretty good uh, sexual tension though between Jared Leto and uh, Colin Farrell. But, I was surprised. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize Leto was in it. So I will say that. I mean, there's just this endless array of talent in this movie mm-hmm. that is just wasted and Oliver Stone good director but we're we're I don't again Val is the focus um I I was curious if I could just watch the scenes he was in and I opted to just watch the movie and I'm glad <laughs> I did because it would have been hard to take in the job Val did because he pops up at key points in the movie where it's relevant. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that those scenes, the context would have been, uh, I wouldn't have been able to take in the context appropriately had yeah. I not just watched the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think he, I, if I remember the trivia correctly, he was vying for the role of Alexander. He really wanted to actually play that part. Might have been um, a better movie. Uh, but um, Oliver Stone had other had other ideas. But um, first time they worked together since the Doors, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm know. happy we have a different movie to end on. Yeah, we don't Alexander. Have to end on Alexander, sixteen percent, <laughs> no nominations. Let's move on to a much better movie: Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. This movie is awesome. I haven't seen it in probably ten years. Rewatched it for this and just forgot how fucking good it is. What a great movie. Well, yeah, it's got the same kind of uh, tete-a-tete that like um, you get in the Lethal Weapon movies right. because Shane Black directed uh, it. Yeah. I think he adapted the screenplay from the from a book. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've already got some great chemistry. You, you've got a person like Shane Black who knows how to direct uh, these male leads in creating this kind of... Uh, really undeniable chemistry and um i i think you can i heard after the fact that val kilmer really just loved the experience of working with robert downey jr jesus look up idiots in the dictionary you know what you'll find a picture me no the definition of the word idiot which you fucking are and i I think he, he said that this was maybe the movie he was most unprofessional ever on because he could not stop from laughing he just and I, I it's think funny he, movie. yeah, he just had a I think he I think he was excited to be offered a part like this. He said that and, he took yeah. it because it's been a while since he'd done a comedy and he wanted mm-hmm. to do a comedy. This movie is so cool and much in the same vein as Fight Club. Um it just there's nothing like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Robert Downey Jr. has a really interesting narration. Excuse me. And um I love that they 
make fun of the typical movie tropes, like in the beginning where the guy's like, I'm going to kick your ass. He's like, no, you're not. You'll try. And then he does kick his ass. And then like he gets shot and she's like, oh, the book stopped it. And he's like, oh, wait, no, it didn't. Like I, the movie's full of stuff like that. Um, But Val Kilmer uh, plays a a man named Perry, but they call him Gay Perry because he's gay. It is a little in your face with. Yeah. Some of the gay panic in the movie that I think was tried to be played for laughs is I don't know if that was really ever that funny. It's not the it's not the highlight of the comedy of the film of Robert Downey Jr.'s it's not. gay panic around the gay Perry character, but um, but there. I mean, I what I thought was cool what Val Kilmer said about taking this part is that he really wanted to play a gay man and just show him for what a well-rounded character he can be and there's more to him than just that he loves other men and um and i think he achieved that yeah well one of the questions you wanted to end on was what was val kilmer's legacy and and, and to lead into that question i want to say with kiss kiss bang bang every time i watch that movie i think this should have reinvigorated his career and i think part of the problem was they didn't have a widespread release um but also, did Val even care? He cares so much about the craft. We talked about you. You, you jumped ahead of what I was going to say, and, and that you know. But but that's the point I was going to make at the at this point in the episode was he made all these like straight to DVD movies and stuff clearly for a paycheck. But I think that was so he could do stuff like the Mark Twain thing, yes. you know. Which I'm I'm upset that we can't find the full video of Citizen Twain anywhere aside from small clips on YouTube, because it looks incredible, and I want to watch it. Oh, my gosh. He fully embodies, like, Mark Twain. I there I think there are recordings of Mark Twain somewhere, so I'd like to listen mm-hmm. to how closely he comes. But I, I believe that he probably came as close as he came yeah. to be playing Jim Morrison, so as he does with Mark Twain. His, his love of Mark Twain is so boyish and like adorable and but it's it comes from a really really respectable place and like he's he's harnessing what he loves so much about Mark Twain and now is like Twain is it called Twain Mania Foundation he has um yeah Twain Mania Foundation which he because he sees Mark Twain as this really approachable like American like uh, he sees him as a great patriot and someone who liberals and conservatives can come around and find something to relate about his stories and what he had to say about culture at the time and I like that he's he's using him now with his foundation to inspire um, students uh, to think more about art education and poetry and political science so he's um he's doing a lot with this mark twain character and i would really love to see the movie that he, yeah i want to see the whole thing i really enjoyed the clips and watching him talk about why he did it and calling mark twain the original stand-up comedian and he compared robin williams he thinks robin williams was probably as close to like a modern day mark twain um interesting yeah i just love how much passion he has for it Mm -hmm. he just you can tell it was probably the first piece of work he did that he truly loved in a long time and it's a shame that i'm sure at some point it'll it'll be up um but i i hope i hope that happens because i want to watch it and um uh i i i love that he put so much effort into something like that and maybe those straight to dvd movies allowed him 
the capital and the time to do that. And now as we're kind of going into our closing thoughts, like what what is he doing today? I mean, he runs a, a, a an art collective called Hellmel, and uh, he himself is making a lot of money actually off of his paintings, his own art he's, he's doing, which is great. He's finding ways now to uh, make money, which I appreciate his candor in his book about, I mean, he really lost a lot of money and he needs money to survive. And as someone who became famous for being an actor and now has a big tool, um, they've lost in that he found ways to adapt and, um, and then, yes. uh, he will, he, he will be in the new Top Gun movie. Yeah. I, I wonder how big of a role it will be, but, uh, we will see that in a few months. Uh, in closing, you asked legacy. We talked about that, but you also wrote down, are there anybody today yeah. that's similar to him? I couldn't come up with anyone. Could you? Uh, don't roll your eyes because I know I've been talking about him a lot, but I, I do actually really believe this. I, I think Robert Pattinson comes close to... I can see that. Type, both Batman. Yeah. I I think there is an there is something weird about both of them uh, that they can harness into playing like a heartthrob like they've both done it they've i mean they're now they're they're both have wolf played batman um they can they can do fan they've done fantasy they've both done fantasy they've also played kind of fast talking quick-witted guys um they're i don't know if robert Panson is much of a singer i think he did we also haven't music, seen him but, do um, a lot of humor either yeah. So I think we'd need to see that, but I I couldn't come up with anyone, and I think that's a decent comparison. Another person I thought of um, was was Chris Pine, um, but uh, because there is I, um, I, I, I there is I I think a real um, actorly way of that uh, that Chris Pine approaches his work, and he also can can sing, and uh, just kind of I really like Chris Pine. I don't know if I could do that. I think I wonder if Chris Pine's as good of an actor as Val. Although Chris Pine's quite good in um, uh, Hell or High Water, mm-hmm. but yeah, maybe I think Robert Pattinson was probably a better comparison. So Val Kilmer, you've had a, a really interesting career. Thank you for what you've you've given us, and and particularly for me in the age group I was in, getting to grow up with some of these films, and uh, you were always uh, endearing and. And, and a reason that made me want to see some of the movies you're in and you rock. Yeah. Thank you, Spencer, for being open to exploring this topic oh, yeah. with me. And um, I, I just, I do have to say, like, I, I feel very grateful to have um, listened to his audiobook um, over the last month and kind of like at times was very stressful and taxing and, it sometimes can be hard to be grateful for what you have. And I feel that like he touched me in a way that he touched that journalist who wrote about him in the piece that I read earlier this year that he has just this infectious um, like zeal for the beauty of what it means to just be alive and be a human being. And um, whether or not everyone agrees with his beliefs, I mean, Christian science is slightly a bit problematic but i think the good parts of it he's really embodied and it, you can see it's really um led him to live a life that he has no regrets about and just can only talk about people in such loving ways and um 
it was a real joy to to explore that um, and to see someone from Hollywood that just really seems like a overall very genuine good person. Well said. Uh, well, there you have it. It was a little bit of a longer episode, but I don't think there was any other way we could have done it. Uh, <laughs> so with that, we will close out with our recommendations. Chelsea, I believe it's your turn to go first. Okay. Um, uh, we're, we're, we started with her. We're ending with her. Ana de Armas, uh, I'm thinking about her. I just recently rewatched Blade Runner 2049. We already touched a little bit upon her performance and how wonderful she is. But I really love that movie. I've actually famously never made it through Blade Runner without falling asleep. Uh, and that is my husband's favorite movie. I'm so sorry, Micah. I do really like Blade Runner, but there is something super special about Blade Runner 2049. Uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve and um, it just Ryan Gosling killing it amazing performances across the board Uh, my latest rewatch I really appreciated what Robin Wright is doing in that movie Um, and um, I just highly encourage if you haven't seen it to seek it out but I think it's a really rewatchable movie Um, and it looked really good on our new TV so I'm giving it a three Good movie. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, Denny is an awesome director. Can't wait to see mm-hmm. Dune. Um, so I kind of picked an interesting one. I, I, I'm watching movies all the time, so I make lists of the ones I might want to recommend. And uh, I've been holding on to this one for a little while, but I'm going to do uh, 1992's Bad Lieutenant. Pretty controversial film. Uh, it was directed by uh, Belle Ferreira, who previously directed an awesome movie called King of New York, starring Chris, Chris, um, Christopher Walken. And a really awesome role by Lawrence Fishburne and a lot of introductory roles by famous people now, Wesley Snipes and David Caruso before we really knew who they were. Bad Lieutenant stars Harvey Keitel. Pretty rough story. Uh, The movie is rated NC-17. There was an R-rated version that came out for the purposes of renting at Blockbuster and buying in stores, but... Uh, Harvey Keitel plays a bad, bad, bad lieutenant who's a bad cop who does drugs, steals drugs from crime scenes, hires prostitutes, pulls people over and harasses them. Um, but the big thing is that he's he's in with a bookie. It takes place during the pennant race between the Dodgers and the Mets during that time. And he just keeps betting the wrong way and keeps up in the ante. But um, a lot of problems in his life. He's not a <laughs> a good character at all. But the, th- the point of the movie is redemption, that anyone is uh, uh, worthy of redemption. But what does that redemption look like? Really well-made movie. Um, it's heavy, but really great performance by Car- uh, Keitel. Uh, really well-directed. Uh, I give it a two only because it's... it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> it may it's, not be for everyone. It may not be for everyone, but Bad Lieutenant... Uh, spawned a sequel in 2009 starring Nicolas Cage. It takes place in New Orleans. I haven't watched it yet, but it's New Orleans. You know I want to watch it. So uh, also starring Val Kilmer in a secondary role. So, oh. Um, anyway, Bad Lieutenant. You probably heard of it. Check it out. So, Chelsea, uh, we'll be back soon. I think we're going to actually do a movie review next. We're going to start throwing some movie reviews in now that we can go back to theaters. Looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Well, for the Marquee Spotlight, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see you. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. 
Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy. And cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes. And listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.